Um, it is recording. Oh, welcome to the day. I can't say what are you interrupting me? You better start again. Yes, okay, start again. Welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Dellingpole. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but I really am. It's an old, old, very old, actually. I mean, like almost just like Methuselah, <laughs> an old friend back after a long time. Ian Plymer, welcome back to the Delling Pod. How have you been? Well, I know you haven't been well. Well, thank you for having me, James. Well, you know, I haven't been 100%. That's why I've been out of action for a while. Yeah, exactly. But are you, are you I mean, seriously, are you, are you recovered now? Because, I, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure that I was ever going to see you again. Well, I'm breathing out carbon dioxide. My bum is pointing to the ground. And for the rest of my life, I will still have a fairly dangerous cancer, which is being managed. Right. So right. that's the good news. Uh, the even better news is that I'm still getting hated by those on the left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although you know what, Ian, I, I've since we last, since we last had a po- did a podcast together, which must have been must be about. It was in the days when I used to do them face to face, and and we met in a hotel near Marylebone, and That's so that correct. would have been yep. what five years ago, even eight years ago. Yeah, five five or eight years ago. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But since then, I've 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 had a had a sort of uh, an awakening you might you might put it um i mean you and i have been fighting the climate wars for a very long time and i don't think anymore well even though, even when i wrote watermelons i think i kind of argued this it's not really about the left and the right it's about us versus them about us versus the bastards that you know and 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 that includes right wing i mean for example notionally conservative governments are just as 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 um balls deep into the into the green agenda as as the left that's correct this is not about the environment it's not about climate it's not about being left or right it's about unelected people having absolute and total control on every minor aspect of our lives, having total control in our wallet. And we have had a revolution. It's been starting since the late 60s, and now it's complete. And we're actually on the losing side. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's kind of depressing Look, I mean, looking at think. When did we first meet? It must have been about twenty years ago. Oh, I think it was about two thousand and nine when my book Heaven and Earth came. Yes, out. and I met you in London, and we did something there. Yeah. Okay. And you wrote a spec piece um, about then. Yeah. Lead article in the spec. There were, there were and are a handful of figures from various scientific fields, sort of solid scientific fields like geology, which is your your field, and uh, physics, which is um, uh, well, quite a few of them. I mean, I think I think the late Fred Singer was a was a physicist. Yeah, Richard Linson and others. Yes, Richard Linson and others. Yes. Yes. They t- the the scientists who've been calling out the climate change scam tend to come from serious scientific fields, don't they? Which, which rely on hard data rather than on nebulous scientific endeavors like ecology or, or I I don't know, um, environmental studies, environmental sciences. Well, in my field, an employer, will pay you and you will create ideas which then you might go out and explore for metals. And if you drill a couple of holes and fail, you're out of a job. That's reality. Whereas you're an ecologist. If you fail, you may well get promoted. So we're at the the sharp end of whether you've got a job or not. And, And yet the same people who are creating this havoc in the world 
are going to be wanting us to find all that lithium and the graphite and the copper and the cobalt and the nickel that's needed for their electric vehicles. So it's we are living in a, a bizarre world at present. Yeah. Well, well, exactly. Do, do you, um, in your scientific career, um, do you remember a point where this stuff started creeping in or, or, or was it always there from the moment you started studying and, I mean, from your uni days? For the last 250 years, geologists have been writing about climate. It's in all the major textbooks, like Charles Lyell's book of 1833 and 1834. So we've been struggling over what climate change means for hundreds of years. And we see the evidence of climate change written in stone. And it was about the 90s when these uh, ideas of human-induced climate change started to creep in. And we've seen thousands of millions of years of climate change in geology. And when someone suddenly tries to change the game and say, oh, no, wait a minute, this is all due to humans, uh, you have to stand up and say, well, what's the evidence? Now, I've been doing that for nearly 30 years and the evidence has never been uh, supplied. And there's one very simple question I keep asking. Can you please show me half a dozen scientific papers that show that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming? Now, I've been asking for that for 35 years. I've never, ever got those papers. Yes, I've got a lot of abuse. Yes, I've had obfuscation. But I've never had the scientific papers on which this whole hysteria is based. So I don't see it as science because in science, your ideas have to be in accord with other validated ideas. And that is the coherence criterion in science. So if the tried and proven scientific um, evidence that we have in geology is not in accord with new ideas coming up about human-induced climate change, well, then you have to ditch the ideas of human-induced climate change. That hasn't happened. So therefore, we're not dealing with science. We never have been. We've been dealing with uh, a pressure group that is not concerned about science, not concerned about the environment, and not concerned about climate change. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that, I mean... I know that to be true, having sort of manned the barricades with you or, or stuck my head above the parapet of the trench. But there will be people, people even now, who will come to this this conversation and they'll say, that's a very <clears throat> big claim, Ian Plymer. You can't seriously be saying that there's, there's no evidence for man-made climate change. You know, come on. I mean, there's a whole, you know, all these experts all around the world are telling us that climate change is a problem. Surely, if there had been no evidence for what they're saying, they would have been exposed by now. 97% of scientists in the climate industry uh, agree with whomsoever funds them. And this has got nothing to do with science. It's to do with people, many of them unemployable, being in fields of science where if they didn't get research, grants to frighten us witless they wouldn't have a job this has got nothing to do with people who might go out and create something like a physicist or create a new process like a chemist or find a new mineral deposit like a geologist these are eminently unemployable people mostly mathematicians who have found a home in climate institutes i'm happy to look at the evidence but please just give it to me i have evidence where you can say that there have been local climate changes due to human activities and i guess the one that comes to mind is land clearing in the foothills of mount kilimanjaro that has decreased precipitation that is a local climate change but it's not a global climate change so i'm still waiting for the evidence i'm very happy the climate always changes i suspect that the human influence is very minor if it's detectable at all but i would just like to see half a dozen papers that um i don't want to use the word prove but demonstrate to me that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming because if you can then you have to show that the other emissions and that's about 97 percent of the total and their emissions out of the oceans out of volcanoes and out of breathing you have to show that those emissions don't drive global warming so you've got yourself a double problem yeah that i can just i i have a friend called called toby 
who who is a great believer that that never attribute to malice um or corruption what you can attribute to cock up so he, he imagines that any of these things that happen are just accidents and that people are basically decent and the system is 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 fundamentally okay just a few few glitches with it and i think that that if you were toby actually it's, it's slightly unfair in this case because toby actually has taken up the mantle um he's 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 taken up the gauntlet of the of, of the the climate challenge and he's, he's quite opposed to it but i think there is a mindset which says look how would it be possible these guys are scientists they go into science to study science and presumably to make the world a better place using science doing sciencey things and there are universities all over the world and knowledge and discovery is at a premium in science and how would it be possible if what you say is true if there are no papers confirming that 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 man-made global warming is changing the planet how would it be possible for them to maintain this lie when there would be all these kind of rival institutions determined to, to you know to get a name for themselves by exposing this lie well if you go and look at the original publications and go right back to the source papers they're very very different from what activists publicists or mainstream media say for example we hear in the mainstream media media that we have these climate catastrophes and that we've got an increase in hurricane activity, we've got an increase in storm damage, etc., etc., etc. Now, go to Chapter 11 of our AR6 of the IPCC report, and they don't say that at all. What they say is that there is no change. And so what happened is between a lot of science where people are fairly measured and fairly cautious, and that's the science I read, that then becomes politicised by activists. And so when you, say, look at the IPCC, what is written in the scientific part of the IPCC reports, and that was only set up to prove that human emissions drive global warming, is very different from the summary. So the whole business has been taken over by activists. And scientific papers will often study a phenomenon where they see a change. And they hint that it could be climate change. They don't say that it's human-induced climate change. They just hint that it's climate change. Right. So that's the reserve we get of scientists. And I think many scientists went into science, as I did, because I was fascinated with the natural world and I wanted to know more. I didn't go in there to make money. I didn't go in there to um, have high-paying jobs. I didn't go in there to get a university chair, I went in there because I was fascinated with natural processes. And by using physics, chemistry and mathematics, you can actually start to understand them. You don't completely understand them, but you get an understanding. Mm. I've noticed over the years, I used to go to the, the Heartland Institute conferences in America. And the Heartland Institute seems to be... a, a, a one of one of the main think tanks which gives a voice to let's say scientists who are skeptical of the current the current we're all doomed and it's all our fault paradigm um and i noticed even even 10 years ago that that most of the speakers were getting on a bit they were they were they were retired they were emeritus professors rather than rather than sort of um What's the opposite of an emeritus professor? You know, ones who were younger, ones who were still... Well, it's a straight chair. It's a professor. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. But, but but quite a few of those 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 old boys um, have died off. I mean, some taken before their time. I'm still... Do you know what? I'm, I'm still very suspicious about the death of Bob Carter. I don't see... People as healthy as Bob don't drop dead of heart attacks like that. But anyway, um, the the um, the, the doesn't like they, they do in today's COVID world. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Exactly. Yeah. We can come on to that. But the um, 
there don't seem to be many young younger scientists coming up and calling bullshit on on, on all this. They all they all seem to have now drunk the Kool Aid and just accepted the money, accepted the hush money. Is it is that a fair? Well, it, it it's a it's a career destroying move, which uh, no young scientist is going to take. Now, fortunately, when I started to um, make noise about this, I was a senior chair, and I had been in two different universities. I was fairly powerful. And um, younger people, when they become a bit older and leave the system, then will say, well, this is what I've always thought. But when you're in the system, you can't buck it. The system is too powerful. Uh, if you want to get research grants, which is the only way to stay alive in the system, then you have to follow the popular paradigm of the day. And when I sat on the Australian Research Council, and that was with Bob Carter, uh, we had a war on cancer. And if any research grant application mentioned the word cancer, uh, that had to have priority. Now it's any research grant application that uses the word climate. That has priority. And you will not survive in the university system unless you get research grants. So the young people aren't stupid. Some of them are very much aware that they would destroy their career if they if they stepped out of line. And we have this fear that it has gone right to the community, people talking out about sexuality, people talking out about all sorts of subjects. You're not allowed to do it any longer. And so in universities, we've lost that ability uh, to be free thinkers, to have freedom of expression. Yes. But there's a difference, isn't there, between um, between not saying stuff because it's politic, not saying stuff because to keep your job and not saying stuff because actually you believe all the bullshit. And have we not reached the point now where the actual knowledge, where the, the, the I mean, in, in as much as science was ever incorrupt, which I don't believe. I mean, I'm sure that even, I think there are, there are even doubts about Newton um, and, and his some of his science so it goes back where you know the royal society a lot of those people were wrong and so i'm not i'm not sort of absolving science of skullduggery in the past nevertheless you rep you, you you come from a generation of which had a degree of integrity at least some of you did and now i'm i'm looking at whenever i see anyone speaking out about climate change and stuff i just think these are just shills for the climate industrial complex they're not they're not they're not scientists at all they're not they're not interested in in the truth follow the money and for a large number of these people who are out there advocating human-induced climate change they are eminently unemployable unless they were in an institution trying to frighten us with us and this is what happens we have now got a very large number of bullshit jobs in universities in the civil service in corporations right across the board we have a very large number of people where if they drop dead i've lost you there can you hear me no you have i can hear you and you haven't okay. lost me okay that's good well yeah yeah um yeah i i've actually reached the point where um I pretty much this is this is quite unusual. I, I haven't done a climate a climate change podcast for quite a while, and it's not that I I think the subject doesn't matter. I think it's it's fascinating. It's just that what I found was after 10, 15 years at, at the coalface, writing stories about how the Barrier Reef, for example, the Great Barrier Reef was not in danger, contra all the stories you you read in the australian press and and beyond um and that the pacific islands weren't sinking with uh, beneath the waves because of man's selfishness and greed and and the polar bears far from being wiped out were actually becoming a pest so many of them were there so so greatly had the population expanded and it started to become like groundhog day for me uh, and it must feel that way for you as well. You cut, you keep coming out with this, these facts, and yet you have this media um, and an entertainment industry 
which which completely ignore the truth and just you know i mean david attenborough i suppose being the worst example and just keep banging us over the head with these with this this fake data and these fake facts I think the rubber is going to hit the road when uh, we have massive economic problems from high energy costs, which are directly a result of poor government policy and poor science. We've seen it before. We had a long period of poor policy, which led to communism. We had a long period of poor policy in the Soviet Union that led to Lysenkoism. That led to tens of millions of people dying. So I think uh, my, my approach has been to keep some light on the issue. When things really get hard for people, when they can't pay their electricity bills, when they can't pay their food bills, when they've got nowhere to live, they'll say, well, how did this happen? When we're a wealthy Western country. How did this happen? And they may remember something that James Dellingpole said. They may remember something that I wrote. And that's my forlorn hope. I need to have stuff put down there for when the rubber really hits the road and we have um, an economic crisis. And I think the only way we will get out of this is to have a catastrophe, be it a war, be it an economic crisis, be it a pandemic, uh, be the whole lot of them put together. That's the only way people will say, well, hang on a tick. We were once a wealthy country. Now we're like Venezuela or now we're like Argentina. Mm. So I think it's good to have something recorded so people can go back. And two of my books on climate, uh, Heaven and Earth, and the more recent one, Green Murder, have been somewhat encyclopedic. And that's for this reason, that all of the arguments are there. If you can't read them now, then maybe when you're impoverished, you will read them. We yeah. hear of an inflation rate of X percent. It's really probably double that. We hear people struggling with interest rates. Well, imagine you're an employer and you've got a foundry and you've got debt to your local bank and you're about to pour um, some bronze to make some bells and all of a sudden the power goes off and that bronze freezes in the pot. You have a choice. You can try to dig it out, which will cost you money and you're making no money, or you just walk away from your business. And when that happens time and time and time and time again, people will say, we were once comfortable. We were once wealthy. I remember my parents and grandparents telling me what a good life they had. What's happened? So we have to have stuff written down. Yeah. But you know what, Ian? You've just reminded me of that off-quoted passage. I think it's from the Gulag Archipelago where Solzhenitsyn says it's it's the passage that begins how we burned and it talks about how when they're in the 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 gulag in their in their camps they say if only more of us had done more if only we'd spoken out if only this if only that we're not going to i i mean i i hate to be be mr misery here but People are going to be quoting James Dellingpole and Ian, Ian Plymer in the camps and not before, because you've you've seen and I've seen the 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 the, 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 the mainstream media has become much more of a censorship machine since we started talking about this stuff. You oh, and I, very much. Yes. we could get published in a lot of mainstream newspapers. Christopher Booker was regularly published in the Sunday Telegraph, in the in the Mail. Um, Britain's most popular tabloid. That <laughs> wouldn't happen now. You're not getting these stories. The, 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 the media doesn't even pretend that it's interested in the truth anymore. No, that's quite right. There are a fewer and fewer outlets for me uh, to publish. Um, yes, I have 10,000 or 20,000 people who are regular buyers of my books, but I, I'm singing to the choir. So I will get in front of a group when I haven't been cancelled, and I have been cancelled right across the traps, where people are saying, well, we've never heard this before. Why haven't we heard it? But the mainstream media has is, is basically changed from when you started in the media. Uh, the mainstream media now uh, is not interested in anything else but scare stories. They're generally people who don't try to find the truth. They're very ill-educated people. They haven't read. They certainly got uh, little knowledge of history. 
And even if you had a knowledge of history, you'd have to start questioning human-induced climate change. But people don't have that any longer. I know you love your history, as I do, but people don't have that knowledge. They don't get taught it and they don't have the burning desire to say, well, that's interesting. Let's dig some some more. And you find that as soon as you do a, a search on the internet, the first 20 or so postings there have all got a language that is geared towards politics, geared towards how we humans are filthy with the environment, and on we go. Mm-hmm. With our school teachers for the last 50 years have been um, hounding children about how evil uh, the lifestyle is that they have, yet the teachers seem to live a good lifestyle. So we uh, we are certainly up against it. Yeah. But you've, be- you've become quite a miserable old bastard since we last spoke. I have. Well, it's because I tell you why. I tell you why. It's because I realised that when I wrote my book, Watermelons, which I think was about 10 years ago now, 20, 2011, no, 12 years ago now, um, I thought that that climate change was the exception rather than the rule. That is that I thought, okay, so there's a whole field of science or, or rather junk science, which has been hijacked by these charlatans and shills. And they're pushing this agenda, which is not true. And they're serving the interests of a kind of green corporate eco-fascist elite. Um, and that this is being used to advance a new world order. And here are the documents, you know, going back, you can read things like the Club of Rome statements and, and so mm-hmm. on. So I was right on that. What I hadn't realised is that this, what applies to climate science applies to everything. The whole system is corrupt. And okay, so look at what happened in Australia. Like one of my best ever trips was the trip I took when you were part of it. You were a big part of it. When I went to Australia, I think it was in 2012. Mm -hmm. And you arranged for me some brilliant jollies, including a trip um, to far north Queensland in a helicopter with with a, a bush helicopter car. Your your mate Bungie, who I hope Bungie is, is, Bungie is still around. Still alive, hasn't hasn't killed himself. Bungie was one of those crazy helicopter pilots who used that where they used them to herd cat cattle in the outback and things like that. And he took me over. I don't know what the river was. It was in far north Queensland. The Daintree River, I think. The Daintree River. Yes, and he spotted a huge salt, salty, a huge saltwater crocodile sunning itself, and he dived down and touched it with his skits. And <laughs> I was just thinking, if he'd got yeah. his, his timing wrong by a fraction of a second, that would us be being chomped up by a salty. Um, and uh, so, but they, they are. Those people still exist. I, I saw Bungie about a year ago. He's now got two helicopters. They're bigger and better. He hasn't been eaten by a crocodile. And these are the true Australians. They are a little bit crazy. Uh, they don't put up with bullshit. Uh, they know exactly what they're doing. And they don't accept any of this sort of stuff. Uh, in, in, in this country, the climate change rhetoric is coming out of the cities. Those people in rural Australia do not accept it. They see seasonal changes. Their grandparents kept rainfall records and temperature records. They know that this is a load of bullshit. These are the real people. And I'm so glad you met people like that and stayed at Chiligo, which is half between Cairns and the Gulf, and you wrote a wonderful story about a a woman who lost her brother to a snake bite. And This is the real Australia. It still exists. Yeah, but... but, It's got to be our fact. But the, the story you tell there... It can be repeated around around the world. You know, you 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 talk about people in the sort of the backwoods of I don't know Indiana. Say um, th- mm. th- there are still rugged country people, often hunting people who understand the workings of nature and understand the land and don't buy into the the bullshit of of the cities. But they're in a minority, and they are an endangered species. I mean, the people. Like, I, I agree. The the real Australia is in places like Chiligo in the, in far north Queensland in the outback 
is fantastic and and one yearns to live in a place like that but these people are are, are being driven to extinction by the metropolitan liberals who are seem to me i mean i had a, a sticky encounter with one of your um abc radio show hosts called john fain is he still going uh, I think he's retired, yes. He's a well-known communist ABC in Melbourne, yes. Well, they all are, aren't they? They're all communists. I mean, the whole of ABC yeah. is like, like the BBC. Yeah. But th- these people are making the running. I mean, I, I, I'm i sure that like like in, in the UK, no one really takes, no sane person takes the ABC seriously. Nevertheless, they are the propagandists in the same way that TASS and Pravda were in the Soviet Union. And regardless of whether whether anyone believes them or not, they set the the news agenda so this is why i argue we need a catastrophe because people i know don't listen or watch the abc people out in the bush do listen to the abc because it tells them about local conditions and the local weather but they don't listen to the mainstream abc out of the cities and the people in the bush they don't live as long as we do um, they generally die a violent death. They're generally not as healthy as we are. But they laugh a lot more than we do. They've had a much better life than we do. And they're not wealthy people. So um, we are seeing that we're having a huge number of bureaucrats appear in the city to actually control those people who are producing material in rural and outback Australia. So we've got people who are non-producers who have never produced anything who are trying to control those people who are producers. This is why we need a catastrophe. If we have a food shortage, an energy shortage, a war, then people are suddenly going to realise that um, there is uh, an economy that has kept our nations going for a long time. Mm. And it's not the entitlement economy. It's not a red economy. It's not a handout economy. Yeah, sorry, I'm 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 looking at the the clock ticking away because it because because we've been because of our nonsense earlier on where we couldn't get any of the other platforms to work. We're having to use Zoom, and I'm not a subscriber to Zoom. So what what it means is that that we're going to we're going to get a, a certain number of minutes. So what I'm going to have to do is end this call and send you another Zoom code if that's all right, and then we can carry on. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. Excellent. Right. Good. So I'll end this one now, and we'll just we'll we'll I'll I'll pick you up on that point that I was going to make about Australia. Yeah, why send, send, Yeah, send the Zoom um, as an SMS. Yeah, I will do. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I had a wonderful time in Oz. And I think that was one of the particular reasons that when what I consider to be a fake pandemic, I mean, a complete fabrication, fabricated by the World Health Organization, which redefined the term pandemic to, to, to so that it, it fit its definition. Um when I saw what happened in Australia, particularly, I was shocked at how rapidly Australia had declined. I mean, I could see that the, the cities had been infested by liberals with their, you know, uh, as in liberals in the American yeah. sense. I could see that. But I was really shocked when, for example, I saw Dan Andrews's boot boys marching round Victoria, Melbourne, where, where I'd had I had I'd had a great time in Melbourne with some right with some conservative politicos. And suddenly here were were Australians who I mean let's not forget, you, you know, we've all seen Gallipoli. You know, we we we, we all think we, we've all seen Crocodile Dundee more recently. And here were most Australians caving to fascism buying into this kind of junk medical tyranny. And if that doesn't make you despair, I'd be surprised. But what was your feeling on well, that? Well, at that time, I was living in Melbourne. Uh, I went to Melbourne for eight weeks of cancer treatment. I was there for 10 months. And I was there during that time in 2020. I was absolutely disgusted. It wasn't the country that I know. 
it's not the country uh, that people died for. It's not the country uh, that uh, was generally fairly free in thought and uh, was happy to ride anything. It was a country that had been pushed into terror, had been pushed into being frightened and pushed into obeying uh, dictates, which I think were totally and absolutely unreasonable. Some of us um, didn't particularly obey those. Some of us didn't particularly think that the idea of having untested chemicals put in our body was a smart move. I mean, some of us are old enough to remem remember thalidomide. But for me, the turning point was when a government um, did a deal such that you couldn't sue the major drug companies. I thought, what's going on here? There's something really, really unpleasant here. So uh, I'm at a loss to understand how my country has changed so quickly. Uh, it, it, for me, it was quite frightening. Yeah. And very, very disappointing. Well, can I ask you a, a, an intrusive question? Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't, but it's, it seems quite germane. When you were having your cancer treatment, did they make it a condition of your treatment that you had to have the, the death jab? No, no. And I argued uh, and was very much supported by the medical team that the sort of treatment I'm, I'm having is boosting the immune system. Yet if I had a jab, that would weaken the immune system. It was absolutely and totally contrary to the treatment I was having. I didn't have chemotherapy because I had about a 2.3% chance of survival if I'd had that. Um, so I went immunotherapy, and I've now, since that treatment started in early 2020, I've had 491 holes put in me with infusions and injections. I still don't leak, which is quite incredible. Uh, I take a huge number of pills, powders, and potions every day, and uh, I've had to change the diet, but my treatment has been a boosting your immune system. Now, those poisons with, um, weakened your immune system. I would have thought that if there was some sort of uh, rather nasty flu virus going around, then you'd want to strengthen your immune system. That, to me, yeah. sounds like common sense. You don't weaken it. And, and you wouldn't be injecting children who who were not dying or being even made ill by this this thing. No, exactly right. And there have been some extraordinary um, deaths that have occurred. Um, for example, the, the footballer who used to play for Southampton, Matt Letizia, I recall made a comment about in his day when he was playing Premier League football, no one would fall over on the field and drop dead. Yet it seemed to be a fairly common occurrence in the European League and in the UK. And something fundamental has happened. And he was right. Something fundamental had happened. People got something jabbed into them, not once or twice, sometimes three or four times. What what impression are you... What, what, what's the mood in Australia right now? I mean, because I, I can tell you that in the UK, there is this extraordinary gaslighting operation going on whereby whenever sort of new evidence pops up that people really have been killed or made very very ill by the vaccine and uh, the vaccine that isn't a vaccine and and also that this 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 is far more widespread than the media admitted initially these people who are having their doubts are being reassured by the the, the lying media that no this these are these these instances are, are very very rare and the politicians aren't admitting they've done anything wrong. Is it the same in Australia? Is there a cover-up? Yes, it is. Um, but uh, you tell me a politician who will stand up in public and say, I got that one wrong. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. They just won't do it. We've got Andrew so, Britton over here doing that. But I, I think you've got one yeah, in Australia, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a couple have hinted at it. So that, to me, is fairly dangerous, where as, as soon as someone expresses caution... Um, again, it's a bit like climate. They either get belted around the head or told, well, look, you're wrong. There's nothing to worry about. We've got the numbers. You don't. Yeah, yeah. The, okay, so so, so the, the, the political class and the media are, are, are sort of stonewalling, circling the wagons, whatever you, you, you want to call yes, it. Yes, yes. Well, with, with this and many other issues, other issues like... Um, uh, children are changing their, their gender, other issues like um, the 
gay and um, transvestite lobby, um, where they actually kowtow to less than 1% of the population. And, I mean, I, I think in our countries we would listen to minorities, but just because a minority makes a lot of noise doesn't mean that's the path you go down. And I think politicians now are lacking uh, any courage. Um, you name me a great politician that exists in today's world that's in power. There are not too many of them. Mm, yeah, yeah. We but, don't have the calibre of politicians we had 50 or 80 years ago. But do you think that the, the sort of the chastening experience of the, the humiliations, I mean, is there a sense of buyer's remorse or, or that people who've kind of fled the field like in the, in the red badge of courage now want to go back to another battle to prove themselves better this time. Have Australians woken up or are they, are they, are they just ready for the next clampdown? No, I think a lot of people are waking up. Um, but we are now in a country whereby you keep your mouth zipped up. You don't say what you think. Years ago, you'd say what you think and yeah. people would argue with you. Now, um, we have been taught not to say what we think. Otherwise, a ton of bricks will drop on you. Yes, you're right. I mean, Australians were were noted for for, for being, for being blunt, right. yes. obnoxious yes. bastards, yes. <laughs> and that. But, but in a good I, way. I, I, I still pride myself in those qualities because that's what it is. Um, we are well known for being blunt, yeah, uh, and not taking any bullshit. But the whole demography of the country has changed. We are. Uh, people who live in cities and we now have most of the electorate are in cities very few people who produce food or fiber or minerals or fish live in the cities they live outside but we have so few people that are supporting a very large city population who don't know where things come from mm. yeah so you're not seeing any sign of i mean our age group sort of remembers how it was but the newer generations are you seeing i mean no. there's, there's, there's tofa no, no. Uh, he's younger no. than us isn't he? well others? yes yes um there's a few of them uh he's, he's a great man he's uh if i'd known you're going to mention him i would have worn his his t-shirt but um there are a few and that's very heartening i see in the conservative side of politics there are a few especially young women getting into the conservative side of politics and they've got balls. They know how to fight and they know how to argue. So every now and then when I think I'm, uh, you know, give it all away, you actually have these wonderful people arise and appear. And we've got a few of them appearing in politics. We've got a few of them appearing in, in uh, non-mainstream media, but they're rare. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking what you were saying about how, we're going to need a war stroke economic crisis um stroke whatever to remind people that this is that what it's all about and and the, and what the truth is but i think you've got it with respect um arse over tit in that the whole purpose of this agenda that we have been fighting for for for, for many years is the purpose of the agenda is to achieve the wars, to achieve the, the 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 starvation, the famine, to achieve the economic collapse. I mean, sometimes the the, the greenies have even uh, are upfront about it. They say they want we want oh, to yes. de degrowth right. the yeah. economy. That the the, the the growth model is broken. Um, they're Malthusians, and unfortunately, if it were just the unwashed greenies who who get paid to go to these rallies if it was just them it wouldn't matter because they'd be nothing but they're paymasters who own the media which give these people coverage and promote this notion that just stop oil are are representative of a grassroots movement they're the problem the people with the money the people who are backing this stuff who are malthusians who want to depopulate who want to do all the things they want war it's, they're not going to think war is a chastening experience which is going to wake us up and make us realise the error of our ways. This is the plan. Do you not think? Um, well, I'll add to that. I think you're right, but I also think that 
in this country, we are very wealthy and uh, we are wasting huge amounts of money and we can afford to do that. But there comes a time when uh, you might get called up to fight in a war and the surveys here show that young people won't do that. Young people are not prepared to give up their wealthy lifestyle. Young people are not prepared to give up and make sacrifices, which is partly the reason we have a bit of a housing crisis here because people haven't saved, people haven't um, gone without for decades such that they can buy something. So um, I think we're suffering from the problem of wealth. And I'm not so sure whether our warlords, our anonymous warlords out there, are going to persuade people to be able to give up the good life, to give up having electricity to charge their phone, are going to be able to give up a good life where they can go out to dinner every second night of the week. Um, it's a big battle to win that one. Once people have had comforts, they're not likely to give them up. So um, that a war might force them or an economic recession might force them to do it, but they will do it unwillingly and then ask the questions, how did we get here? thing is, um, going back to the 1960s when... Who was your president? Your your prime minister at the time um, managed to Menzies. Menzies took it took Australia into the Vietnam War. Um, I can't imagine many affluent Australians wanted to go and die in the jungles of Indochina for a for some pointless war that the Americans started, and yet they did because you had conscription. So who's to say they won't have conscription again? I mean, I, 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 see, I see the West gearing up for war, a completely pointless, unnecessary war with Russia, because that's part of their, their global plans. Um, what are we going to be able to do to, just because the kids don't want to go? That, I mean, Well, with the Vietnam War, there were some who didn't want to go. I think... The surveys here show that 60% of people say that if there was a war and they were to be conscripted, they would leave the country. Now, whether they well, can no, leave the now country, they say that. Yeah, right now, yes. But where would they go to? <laughs> well, they would have to be able to leave the country first. Yeah. Uh, so um, it's things have changed a lot. Um, a war with Russia, to me, would be absolutely pointless. I think the mistakes were made. In Gorbachev's time, when maybe we should have embraced Russia and said, look, you have a Western culture, you have music, history and literature like we do, we have a lot in common. Let's let's try to... They've got better literature, literature than we, we do, actually. They, they produce <laughs> the, the world-class novels. Yeah. Oh, well, what's wrong with the grime and depression of Emil Zola? <laughs> I think the, the French are probably second best. I think, I think Britain yeah. comes, England comes third. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so uh, I think there was a fundamental strategic mistake made saying we are all Westerners and um, let us do things and grow together, except I think that there was a Cold War mentality that never left the US and it's still there. But it's by design. I mean, it's it's ancestral. It's it's atavistic. The 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 Western elites have always, you know, look at the great game. They've had this thing about Russia. And I, I used to, you see, in my days, Ian, when I, when I first last saw you, I used to read the newspapers and I used to see all these kind of retired generals and admirals and you know, writing comment pieces in the Telegraph and stuff. And they were all hot. They, were, they all thought that the Cold War was still going on. And they were trying to whip it up. And, and the American generals, the, the same. And I, I thought, why is this? Why is their understanding of the world so completely different from mine? And I hadn't realised back then that this is all by design, that there is this, this, um, the establishment, the deep state, whatever you want to call them, who have always, always, always wanted war with Russia, that, that it's, 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 it's in their DNA. And we don't count. We just have to go and, go and fight and die in these things. I mean, we're just grunts. But the people, the people in charge who run the world, that's part of the plan. And I find it scary. Well, I find it a bit scary also. There's always arguments that are put up that's in our economic interest to go to a war, but I'm not so sure I can think of any wars in the past where it was economically um, of great benefit for a country to go to war. And normally it's the, the exact inverse. But 
there are some economies, and the U.S. economy is like this. is is a, is a military economy. Yes, it's not an economy. It's not an economy based on literature or music or or feeding its population. It's it's a military economy. Yeah. Now, uh, to a lesser degree, we've you've got the same in the EU and uh, the UK, and in our country, if we were invaded, it, it'd take. Uh, It'll take five minutes to invade us, but um, the guerrilla warfare out in the bush might be long and tedious. Yeah, yeah. I, I must say, I at this this stage in the world, I don't consider China as big a threat as I do um, America. That and not and not well, not not the Americans, but the American deep state, the people who are pulling the pulling the strings. Well. Uh, you spoke about poking the bear. I think also um, the US is is provoking China. Um, yeah. And some of these provocations have come as trade. They've come as competitive military activity. That's quite normal. We've seen this over thousands of years. So um, China doesn't have the short-term view that the US has. And China's long-term view will be that ultimately we will we will achieve what we want to achieve. We've just got to be a bit smart about it. By the way, can I say what a huge because I I haven't spoken to you since since the last podcast, really, um, inexcusably actually, because um, you're a mate, and um, I should have been more. <laughs> I should have been, but we're blokes, and I think that's the part of the problem, isn't it? Blokes are not very. Yeah, good that's at exactly it. right. Yep. keeping in touch so we just carry on as we so basically we've just carried on this conversation as if we we only we last saw each other five minutes ago and i wasn't sure where you were on a lot of issues and i'm really i'm really happy to hear that you were part of the the jab resistance and and that and that you that you saw what was going on because you know what a lot of our people didn't, and by our people, I mean the 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 climate warriors, the true climate warriors. But for example, I haven't talked to our old friend Christopher Monckton um, about this because you know he's a he's a completely doughty warrior when it comes to exposing the, the sort of the new world order connections of the climate industrial complex and just how appalling their science is. And he's he's a very articulate, indefatigable debater. But he's completely sold the pass on 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 the whole big pharma thing. He doesn't he doesn't think there was anything wrong with the vaccines. I don't think he didn't. I don't. He hasn't. He hasn't looked into it. And it, it, this puzzles me slightly because I don't see how those of us who 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 can see very clearly the 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 the, the corruption of science and 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 so forth that we've we've witnessed over the years in climate change. Why you can't see the same process? exactly the same process happening with pharmaceuticals well i did uh, but i'm old enough to remember thalidomide and i'm old enough to remember that um internationally it was decided that any new drugs we might spend 10 years or so uh, testing them before we make them widely distributed yeah now that didn't happen and it was a very new form of drug so that immediately attracted my attention and then as soon as there was an abrogation of responsibility, as soon as governments did deals with the big pharmaceutical companies such that there, there was no ability to sue, I thought, well, now something's wrong here. Someone knows a lot more than I do about it. Mm. I'm not a medical scientist. I was unable uh, to argue then, but I've now seen enough numbers uh, to be able to um, be a bit concerned that this wasn't a vaccine. Uh, this was a wonderful marketing exercise. There was a bucket loads of money made, and um, it was a super duper cold that people's natural body immunity would have fought. Uh, there were certain drugs around that were banished, like um, ivermectin, for example. Um, ivermectin's been around for a long time, it's had hundreds of millions of people use it, and we know it doesn't kill you. Um, if you look at one of the states of India. They managed to kill off COVID by using ivermectin. So yeah. none of these things were considered. Yes, none of these things are considered. And it's very much the way it was in the climate industry. Uh, any alternative arguments were not considered. They, they weren't even argued. They, they were just dismissed. And um, I think when you've got a totally new 
vaccine procedure, not a totally new disease, but a totally new vaccine procedure, we have to be fairly robust. Now, we have the problem in this country that the organisation that gives approval for drugs is called the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And they are partially funded by the federal government and 95% of their funds come from the pharmaceutical industry. So um, I'm not so sure we're getting independent advice on what <laughs> drugs we should be taking and shouldn't be taking. Only 95%, Ian, come on. Oh, I think it's... <laughs> I think Australia tops are and, and you know, I see it with Medicos. Um they they will go to a conference in Hawaii and this might be paid for by a pharmaceutical company. Um they have hot and cold running maids and business class flights there and all they can eat and drink. And um they um will then recommend certain drugs to be used. Now, I know with my own cancer that my oncologist would say, to well, I'm going to put you on this drug. I'd say, no, you're not. You're going to give me half a dozen scientific papers on the efficacy of this drug, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. And I lost one of his colleagues. He couldn't handle this. <laughs> How dare a peasant question him? And I was looking at the scientific method. And they would maybe have 800 people, and uh, they tried a drug and... 300 had some sort of response, but most of the drugs were tested on between 50 and 100 people. And I would look at that and think, well, you know, out of that, 75% showed some result. Okay, I'll take it. And I did point out a number of times to my oncologist, I said, look, in geochemistry, we might have a batch of 100,000 samples and we argue about the interpretation. You've got 83 patients who have taken this drug and you're telling me that it's going to work. I don't accept that. So uh, I approached it, um, my treatment with enormous scepticism. I wanted to understand the processes, what each drug was doing. Many of the drugs I'm on are out of patent, but it doesn't mean the drug doesn't work. And this was my body. It was my life. And um, if I'd gone a chemotherapy route, I would have died in, in or probably August 2020. So the same approach that I took with uh, COVID, all all with climate, I took with my own body. Now That's I'm alive. I'm a bit. I'm a bit of a a hyper specimen, but I'm alive. That, Ian, that's going to be. Um... A lot of people are going to be interested in this, actually. They're probably going to find this the most interesting part of the podcast. Not that you haven't been interesting elsewhere, but but you see, I think cancer has has become such a big thing in the public imagination, and we know. Cancer is is the business model of big pharma. It's it's you know when the um, the Flexner yes. report was yeah. was produced, that was the, 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 that's where they really make the money. And I think the promotion of of, of the big C is part of that thing. It's it. it I think it's. Um, I'm sure it's the reason why you have all these stories in the in the newspapers about X or Y heroically battling against cancer. It, it's, it's to constantly promote in the public imagination. This is the thing you should fear most, and. People, uh, and it's also, by the way, I think that think the, the the source of the NHS's extraordinary hold over the public imagination. They associate the NHS somehow yep. with being able to protect them from the bogeyman of cancer. So you've applied the scientific method to your to your treatment. Um, in, how easy is it to get get sort of bespoke treatments like yours? I mean, is is this um, very very easy? Um, there's a huge amount out there. There are very few medical practitioners who will do something, but I've had to have some catastrophic changes to my life. Um, cancer feeds on sugar. So I've had to give up beer. I mean, it's, you know, it's, oh, it's terrible. Mate. It's terrible. Yeah, I know, that's shocking. However, there's some good news. Um, one of the drugs I take is resveratrol, which is found in red wine. So I have a substitute. And there's a wonderful book written by a lady in the UK, Jane McClelland. I think it's called How to Starve Cancer. And she was stage four. She was told to go home, get your affairs in order and you know, kiss the budgie and say goodbye. And she realised that cancer may not be a genetic disease, but may well be a metabolic disease because 80% of your immune system's in your gut. And so she put out a wonderful book 
on a diet, and it's very little different to a keto diet, and all sorts of drugs and what these drugs do. So there's a lot of information out there in public. A lot of these drugs are not these heavy drugs that have you reeling for days. I have a couple more drugs to take tonight. Um, if people want to have a good sleep at night, they will take melatonin, and they'll take two or three milligrams. Well, I take enough to kill an elephant. I take 240 milligrams a day. I haven't taken it yet. I'll take it after I talk to you just before I go to bed. And that's an anti-cancer drug. You know, so you can't get it in the UK. Banned. Really? Yeah. There are, yeah well, I, I think every country, there are certain drugs that they ban. And I think that they, they, different countries ban different things. And they're probably drugs that are efficacious in the, in the treatment of cancer so did that I'm, I'm sure that is the case ivermectin is another uh drug that's very useful for cancer um so um these are the drugs i take have you been trying this um uh um apricot kernels humza apricot uh i've been trying kernels of various things apples ap apricots there's a bit of cyanide in them but um, a little bit of cyanide doesn't do you any harm. Um, well, so that's right. It's an apple pips, isn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for any of the viewers out there, there is a lot on immunotherapy, on diet, and I'm not suggesting to anyone just change your diet. You've got to take some pretty serious things that will attack the protein sheath in your cancers, will um, stop the cancers doing this and that, build up your immune system, and that's what I have been doing. That's really good. By the way, how how is the keto diet? Is it is it? Well, I rather like it actually. Um, you know, in the morning I have a bit of chook food. Um, I've cut out things that I like, like spuds and um, pumpkin, but I have plenty of meat and plenty of fat on the meat. And um, I've had half of my keto diet tonight. When we finish tonight, I'll have some greenery and. Things that I like. I mean, I like raw cabbage. I, I, I like um, raw Brussels sprouts. I, um, you can cook them or have them raw. I don't mind them. So it's very different from the diet I had as a child. Yeah. So I've learned a number of things um, in this journey, and uh, I'm not so sure we're going to a cancer hospital and having radiation therapy and um uh, chemotherapy is the way to go. There are other directions to take, and there's a lot of literature out there on it. Uh, I've also learned that maybe cancer isn't 100% a drug that's uh, genetic. It could well be related to uh, your diet. It may well be related to um, a, a um, metabolic problem, and it may well be triggered by stress. And we've all had our stress in life. So I've had some fairly exciting times in life, and each person responds to it differently. So um, I, I would say to any viewer out there that's um, got cancer, hit it hard, hit it early, and get a second opinion, get a third opinion, get a fourth opinion. But don't get it from the same people in the same club. Go to, uh, go to someone who's uh, integrative medicine. Uh, where they're looking at the body as a whole rather than just a straight oncologist. Mate, I, I think that's a, that's a good way to end the, end the podcast. It, um, I'm really happy. I'm really happy for you. It's, it, and, and it's good to see you looking so well. So, so and I'm, I'm sorry. That, I'm feeling as if I could wrestle a crocodile. I really am feeling good. good. And I'm, I'm really sorry that I haven't spoken to you before. You know, right. it, and for any other uh, viewers out there, if you want to lose weight, get cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost about 30 um, pounds. Where can people find you, Ian, read your stuff, etc.? Well, I've got a book uh, that came out a year or two ago called Green Murder. And at a, con at a conference in mid-August, I'm putting out a book called The Little Green Book. And this is a book for children uh, to be read by their parents or grandparents if they're too young. And this is uh, a book of sedition, a book of questions about their lifestyle, their the climate, what they're being taught at school. And basically, um, somewhere along the line, you pick up people who read this and suddenly change their minds. And I've met a number of people that I've changed their minds, and that inspires me to keep going. 
So the Little Green Book will be coming out by my normal publisher, Connell Court. I think the 19th of August is my launch date. That's That, that sounds... A perfect, a perfect gift for every child, every indoctrinated child in your life. Great, um, Ian. Thank you so much, um, uh, everyone. Thank you for for watching and listening. I really appreciate your support. On, I think the best place to support me now is, is locals. So, um, also on Patreon, on Substack, subscribe, start buy me a coffee. Buy me. Lots of you like buying me a coffee. I really appreciate it. Thanks. You, uh, but if you sign up to some of the other other ones, you get early access, which you may consider being worth your while. I certainly would. I I can't get enough of James Dellingpole. I live with him all the time. Um, Ian, thank you again, mate. It's uh, and I'm sorry that thank Australia you, was so buggered, but it's the same. We will here. see you. I'm sorry too. I can't even go and move to New Zealand. It's even worse. No. I yeah. Exactly. I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, please resend my love to all, all, all the Aussie crew. I will. Uh, I miss Thank them greatly, you. and I, I miss the, the lucky best. country. Okay. All right. Cheers. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. That was great, mate. Good to see you okay, well. Okay, yeah. Well, well, I am well. I'm, I'm feeling very well, and the stem cell count has gone down a lot. Um, I've got another test coming up in a month, and we'll see. Great. Okay. Well, listen. If, if obviously, if I come over there, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely look you up. And if, if you come over here, I'm, I'm likely to be over your way. End of November, early December. Okay. Hmm. Let, let's let meet know. up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If I'm not Excellent. hunting. All right. See you, mate. Yeah. Okay. Bye. All the rest.